today I'm going to ask you about how you prepare, how you prepare for things, because it depends on what you're preparing for, right? If you're going to be in a recital, whether it's a dance recital or piano, you got to rehearse, got to practice and get ready. If you are preparing for a test that you have to take, some sort of an exam, you study. If you are preparing to be in the 2020 Olympics in Japan, you got to get busy. <laughs> you got to get busy because when you are in the Olympics on any level like that, it takes a lot of preparation. They say to be an expert at something, it takes 10,000 hours. And uh, I was reading about Michael Phelps uh, earlier that, saying that he accomplished 10,000 hours of swimming by the time he was 15 years old. He had spent a lot of time in the water, and that got him the gold medals that he, he received later on. Uh, it also takes goals, right? He, uh, I saw this picture of some of his goals that he had. And I don't know if you can see it up there, but it was just him as a little kid. And it just says, I would like to make the Olympics. Just, I want to make the Olympics. I just want to be on the team. Nothing about gold medals. Other than that, on the bottom, it's some of his times that he wants to, uh, to beat throughout the year. He's a little kid already with goals. He knew what he wanted, and he was preparing to get it. When we talk about athletics and stuff like that, it, it just shouldn't surprise you. That it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of preparation. But now let's turn it. Instead of preparing for a recital or a test or Olympics, how do you prepare to follow Christ? How do you, how do you prepare to be a disciple? If it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert, how many of you are experts at being a disciple? Right? And what, what, is it, what counts? I think if we were to ask people, like, how do you you know, prepare to, to be a good disciple, a good follower of Jesus Christ, it probably comes down to just a couple of things. Probably a lot of us just answer this way, I go to church, you know, once a, once a week. I read the Bible as much as I can, and I, I try to pray. Beyond that, what do we have? What do we, how, how do we prepare? Well, today we're going to look at kind of preparing, because we're looking at Jesus as he's preparing for his ministry. We're going to see what he does, and we're going to pull out some things, some lessons that we can learn from him to help us as we continue to follow the Lord, as we prepare to be disciples of Jesus Christ. So today we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll see Jesus in the desert with Satan. There's going to be some temptations We'll learn a little bit from him. To remind us of the context where we're at, we're studying the book of Matthew right now. We started with an introduction, and then we, we skipped over all the birth narrative because we just covered that at Christmas. And then last week, we talked about the baptism, that Jesus went to be baptized. We met John the Baptist, and then God's voice after, he came up out of the, after Jesus came up out of the water, God's voice said, this is my son, and him I am pleased Immediately, we turn to chapter 4, and now we're in the desert. And so, let's see, let's read this passage. We'll read chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, and then I'll comment a little on the, on the temptations, and then we'll get into the message and learn some things. But here's what it says, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days 
and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So he left the rivers of the Jordan and went a little south to the wilderness, to the desert. It's a place that was bare and sterile. A lot of salt lying in the ground, virtually no vegetation at all. This is a place where the Jews said this is where Satan and the demons would hang out, and so Jesus goes to that very place. Why the desert? Why 40 days? Well, he's identifying. Before he's starting his ministry, he's identifying with the Israelites. Remember where they were for 40 years? It wasn't just 40 days, but for 40 years they were in the desert on the other side of the Jordan, but they stayed there. And uh, after 40 years, then they entered the promised land. But Jesus would identify with them for 40 days. He would be in the desert. The question before us is, will he disobey like Israel? Or will he obey God to be worthy of the messianic task before him? That's a question. So for 40 days, he fasted. He prayed. And then Satan comes up, and that's now when the temptations start. So we'll go quickly through these temptations to see what Satan is asking and how Jesus responds and what, they're, what he's really getting at here. For the first one, he's seeing if God will really provide for him, if Jesus will trust God to provide for him, or if Jesus will just take care of himself. So he says, Jesus, I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten. I know you want to. The Israelites, when they were in the desert, they complained. They said, God, we're hungry. And he says, I'll provide for you. And he sent manna. They're like, what is this? It's kind of like bread. But he provided for them. And Satan's saying, just, just provide for yourself, Jesus. Just, you see those stones right there? Just say, command them to turn into bread, and they will. If you're the Son of God, you could do this. But Jesus says... He responds to him. He says, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's talking about his obedience. He's talking about his priorities, saying my priority, more than taking care of my physical needs and my hunger and all that, my highest priority is to be in obedience with God, to let him take care of me, to come to him for everything else. I'm not going to turn bread 
or stones into bread. I'm not going to live by that. I'm going to live by the word of God. That's my highest priority. Strike one. Temptation number two. Satan now took him to the temple in Jerusalem. Takes him to the highest peak. Looking down on all the people. He's saying, hey, if you are the son of God, just jump down. You're not going to get hurt. Because even your word says that the angels will come and they'll hold you down and they'll bring you right down so you won't even hurt your foot. You know, out of any place, you know, that God would protect his son, it would be the temple. And there's all the people that are looking for the Messiah. These are people that are righteous and they're religious and they're looking for the Messiah. So this would be a great place for Jesus to kind of float down from the top of the temple. Might be a a win for Jesus if he did that. But it's here to to test God. Would God really take care of him? And Jesus responds, do not test the Lord your God. Do not put him to the test. When Moses spoke these words originally, these are from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses was telling the people that you're about to enter the promised land. You're going to inherit homes that you did not build. You're going to get some vines, some vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to have furniture that you didn't buy. But you can take the homes and the vineyards and the furniture, but don't take their gods. Don't put God to the test. Don't try him on that. You know what he wants. He wants you to faithfully serve and worship him. And this is what Jesus said. He comes back and says, I'm not going to test the Lord. I know he's going to care for me. I have faith in that. I'm not going to put him to the test. The same way for us today. We don't test the Lord and all that. And we know he's going to provide for us. He's not, we know he's going to take care of us. I Probably many of you have felt this like, weird sense of like, hey, I think angels are watching over me, you know, or whatever it is, they're taking care of you. But we still, we still obey the traffic laws. We still wear our seatbelts. Hopefully you wear your bike helmet. I know it's hard for me. I grew up in the 80s without helmets, so I struggle with that. But we, we do these things. Not to test God to say, hey, are you going to take care of me or not? But to know that he has got us. When I drive up the freeway here to work, I I go along the five freeway. Sometimes the traffic is really bad. I could easily look over to my left and I see the train tracks with no trains. I could just say, nobody's on those train tracks. I'll just drive my car onto those train tracks and get up to work really fast. That's ridiculous, right? Nobody will do that. That's testing the Lord. I'm not going to say, well, I know he has a plan for me. I know my plan's not, you know, he has great things planned for me, so I'm going to take my life in my own hands and try these supernatural weird things. Like, nobody would do that. We don't test the Lord. We live by faith, and that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not going to test him. So strike two. One more temptation. Finally, Satan took him to the very high mountain where he could see all the world. Satan says, hey, you want this? You want to be the king of all this? I got it. Just, just worship me. You worship me and I'll give you all this. And see, here's the funny thing, is that Jesus right now is the king. He's the king of all the nations. But what Satan was trying to tell him was saying, hey, I know that you're going to be king finally one day, but that's going to lead you through the cross. The road to, the, to being king over the world is going to lead you through the cross. I know you don't want to do that. So just 
Worship me. It'll be a shortcut. Bow down, worship me, and I'll give you all of this. And you don't have to go to the cross. But fortunately, Jesus doesn't take shortcuts. He said, no, I'm not doing it. Worship the Lord God only. Serve only him. I'm not doing it, Satan. Strike three. Satan struck out. Jesus beat him with three scriptures from the Old Testament, all from the book of Deuteronomy. But as we look at all these temptations, what do we learn? What can we learn? Jesus was preparing to battle Satan, and he was planning for this ministry that he would gather disciples, and, and it would eventually lead to the cross and the grave, and he would bust forth. This is what he was preparing for. But what are we, just as followers of Jesus, what can we learn from this as we prepare to follow him? Here's what I want us to grab today. That we need to resist Satan's temptation, resist Satan's temptations through the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures to accomplish the will of God. Four things. We need to resist Satan. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, with the Scriptures, with God's Holy Word, and we do it for the will of God. That's what we're about. That's how we prepare. So let's, let's look at these four things and see what we can learn. First thing, ruthlessly resist Satan's temptations. Okay, guys, Satan is real. All right, Satan is real. Uh, I don't think he looks like the little red devil with the pitchfork and the horns and the tail and all that. I think that is made up. But Satan is real, and he is out there. And what does he want to do? He wants to take down anything that's holy. Anything that aligns with God, he wants to take down. And that includes you. If you are a follower of Jesus, he wants to take you down. But what do we do? What's our first step in our preparation? Resist. Resist him. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Okay, you heard those, there's two verbs there. Submit yourself to God and then resist the devil and he'll flee. Some of us, we think just the first part. If I submit myself to God, then he will flee from me. But that's not what happens. Just because you are submitted to God does not mean that he's going to run away from you. All the more, he's going to be there to attack you. He's going to take you down. Submit ourselves to God and resist him, and then he'll flee. Throughout Scripture, we see many verses like this about resisting him. In 1 Peter 5, it says, be awake, be alert. Satan's out there. He's like a lion prowling around to, take, to destroy you. So resist him, standing firm in the faith. In Ephesians 6, it's talking about the whole armor of God and about that spiritual battle that's going on. And it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil wants to trick you. He's got his schemes, okay? He's going to throw every temptation he can at you. But here's the good news. You don't have to fall for his temptations. Let me, uh, I'm going to kind of do a little pause. I'm going to talk about two things that we sometimes get confused with. Temptations 
and then like tests and trials. Because sometimes we throw those together and we don't know what the difference is exactly. So let me, let me put it this way. Temptations from Satan. Tests and trials, those are from the Lord. Okay, here's the difference. The temptations, uh, they're enticements to get a person to go contrary to God's will. They're enticements that make us want to reject God and, and rebel against Him and follow our own will, our own selfish desires. First thing is that temptations in, in and of themselves are not sins because Jesus was tempted, but He didn't sin. So temptations are normal. They're out there, and they're not sins just to be tempted. It's when we are led into those, when we kind of reject God and say, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on my own. I, I'm going to have my own pleasure or my own will or my own desire. James sheds lights on this again. He said, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Okay, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And that's what gives birth to sin, and then that gives birth to death. So, Satan puts the temptations out there, but it's you, the individual, me, that fall into it. We don't blame God for that. Those, we blame Satan. All right, what about a test or a trial? Those are a little different. Like I said, those come from God. And here's, here's how we'll describe that. A test or a trial is to get a person to prove in him or herself faithful to God's will with the good intention that the person passes the test. It's trials and tests. They come in all shapes and forms. All kinds of things are out there. But it's when God says, I'm going to put this in front of your life because I know, I know that you can push through this. I know that you uh, have been walking in the faith. You've been walking with Christ. And I'm confident that you can pass this test so that you grow in your faith. You become stronger. You grow in perseverance. These aren't meant to trip us up. You guys ever had, like in school, you know, when you take those exams, there's, there's like two kinds of exams. There's the exams where like, they're such like nitpicky things that's like you could read, you could study, you could have no cards, and you still will miss it, you know? And those are frustrating, so hard. Then there's those other exams where it's like, do you understand the main point? Do you get, you know, the main point? And they'll, they'll ask questions that if you read, if you studied, you will be able to answer, okay? This is what we're talking about. He's not trying to trip you up on these little things, but just... Are you walking with the Lord? And if you're walking with the Lord, you can see yourself through this trial. You can grow. That's why James tells us to be encouraged. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Blessed is the one who preserves under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I can't promise that every trial is easy. I know there's some hard ones. But God has put these in our lives so that we can, we can, we can preserve, we can keep producing faith. So let's not confuse those two. They're totally separate. But what Satan wants 
is to take you down. By, he's going to throw all kinds of temptations at you. But the first thing in our preparation is to resist. Resist ruthlessly. Okay? How do we do that? Well, we learn the second thing is to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, Jesus lived his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. No way could he have done this on his own strength. But he relied on the power of the Spirit to see him through. Same as us. We have that same Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in each Christian. Each person who has put their faith, you have that same Spirit. You have that same power. Therefore, you don't have to pray when you're finding temptation. You don't have to say, Lord, give me power like you don't have it. You have it. If you are a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have power. He's your guide. But as Christians here in America, I think so many times we start our Christian journey living in the power of the Spirit but then as we get along in life, as we get along in our journey, something switches. And we, we kind of want to go back to this like, like, Lord, let me show you how much I love you. I'm going to face these temptations all by myself, on my own strength. I'm going to prove to you how strong I am or how much you've, you've, you know, I've learned from you so I can do these all on my own. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, do you see that? Paul had this. He was, this is what Galatians is about. In chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, he's telling, when, when you first, you know, how did you first receive the Spirit? By faith or by your own works? The answer is by faith. And then he says, then why are you living by your own works right now? Why are you trying to prove yourself by your own hands and your own work and your own flesh? He said, you started with the Spirit, live in the Spirit now, each and every day. Don't do this on your own. But here's what Satan wants. He wants you to do it all on your own. Because he knows he can't beat the Holy Spirit. He can't beat the, the Spirit's power. But he can have you every single day. He can whoop you up. Here's some schemes. Here's some tricks that he does. One, he's, he wants to think that when, the, when you're tempted, he wants you to think that God has abandoned you, that God is not here, that he is busy with something that's far more important than you, that you are alone. That's his lie. If you ever felt that, if you ever felt you're in a, a tough place and you felt that God has abandoned you, that is not the scripture speaking to you because we know that God is with us in the valley. He's with us in the darkness. In Romans 8, it says the Spirit is with us even in the darkest moments. Christ is with you. He's never left you. He will never abandon you. But that's what Satan wants you to think. The other thing is he wants to think that you can handle temptations on your own. You can do it. You got this. All right, you say that all the time to your kids when they're playing sports or whatever. You can do it. But we also say that in the church. And I've caught myself doing that. I, I've caught myself, you know, when someone's talking about, oh, here's my struggle, or I need prayer for this. I want to say, you can do this. You've got it. You're strong. That's exactly what Satan wants us to say. Do it on your own strength. We also say it a little bit different 
this, is, this sounds way more um, nice and more um, maybe Christian or whatever. We say this, this phrase, maybe tell me if you've heard it, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Please don't say that. Don't say that. Um, most people say that's a, uh, that's a Bible verse. Well, not technically. I mean, it kind of, I think it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where Paul is talking about trials or about, about temptations specifically. And he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind, but God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Okay? So here's the thing. Satan, you know, wants to attack you and says, I'm going to throw all of this at you. And God says, no, 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 I'm going to curtail that. They can only handle this much. Just, just throw this much. And so that's, that's what he's talking about when it comes to a temptation. You're not going to be overwhelmed. You're not going to be ever to the point where, like, I'm so um, burdened by the temptation, I have no choice but to give in to it. Because he says at the end of that, he says that, uh, uh, where am I? There it is. When you're tempted, he also provides a way out so that you can endure it. With every temptation, there's always a way out that God is providing. If you look, if you look to him, he will deliver you out of that. So in the context of temptation, God will not give you more than you can handle. However, in every other area of life, the point is, is that you can't handle it. That he gives you far more than you can handle. So that you can't say, I can do this. I got this. I can do it on my own strength. God, watch me and be proud of me because I got this. That's not how we live as Christians. Instead of Christians, we live constantly like that song we sang earlier, I need you every hour. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I, I've got no strength on my own. I've got no ability. But with Christ, but with the Holy Spirit, now I can. Satan wants to trick you. He wants to think that you can do this on your own. What we learn from Christ is we, we, our only success comes not on our strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So to resist Satan, we have to learn how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's also another thing that we need. We need this. You need this. The Scriptures. The Scriptures are going to be key when fighting temptations. How did Jesus do it? You notice three temptations, three quotes from Scripture. For him, for Jesus, he, he quoted all from the Old Testament. In fact, he quoted all from Deuteronomy. <laughs> Who says the Old Testament? Who says Deuteronomy is not important? That's what Jesus used to defeat Satan. Right? And we have all the Scriptures We've got Romans and Galatians. We've got all kinds of great verses in here to help us fight. But we have to use it. We have to use this. See, some people think this is just a nice book that sits on the bookshelf or sits on your coffee table. That you use it when you're overwhelmed and you can read it or whatever. But do you know that this is an offensive and a defensive weapon? In, in Ephesians 6, it says this, this. This is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is a sword. How many of us are practically spiritual pacifists? I'm not talking about in our culture right now, whether you 
want gun control or not or whether you believe in war or not. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritually. There's so many of us that are spiritual pacifists. Like, oh, I'm not going to fight. You know, I don't want to fight anybody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my sword, you know, be over there. I'm not going to use it. But Satan just laughs at that, you guys. He laughs at the Christian who says, well, I'm not fighting anybody. I'm just, you know, I want to take care of myself or I'm not going to cause any trouble. No, the reality, there is a battle. If you are in Christ, there is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 tells us that. It's not against flesh and blood that we fight. It's against the powers, the principalities. The reality is you are in a battle. And how many of us have left the sword at home and just say, you know what, if, if I have to, I'll use my bare hands, right? I, I, I know how to fight. Hook, jab, cross, uppercut, I know all that. Right? I, I know how to wrestle. And we're sitting there, we're wrestling Satan, barehanded. We're trying to box him, trying to kick him away. You're not going to win. That's not Satan's going to laugh. He's going to beat you every time. But when you have the Word of God, when you read that, maybe in the morning, when you're having your breakfast, when you have memorized Scripture and applied it into your heart, into your mind, you have it. You have that to fight. Just having Scripture is probably not enough because Satan even knew Scripture. He used, he used Scripture in, this, in that second temptation. He used it wrong and he left out some things, but he threw it out. And so not, it's not just only having Scripture, but knowing it, studying it, immersing ourselves into it so we understand, so we catch his lies. It's, just, it's comical, I guess, to me that in, um, in this temptation, when he's sitting on the temple and he's like, he's quoting Psalm 91. Okay, for me, Psalm 91 is my go-to verse when I'm, when I'm sensing like uh, a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare, I go to Psalm 91. And it's funny that here he is, Satan, and he's using Psalm 91, all right? But what he, you know what he left out? He left out a couple things, but he left out the last line, and I, it's just, is this not funny? He left out verse 13, it says this, that you will tread the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. <laughs> That's him. That's him. And he left that out. Trying to avoid what his future is. But Jesus didn't buy into that because he knew. I'm going to stay obedient. I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to trample on that, 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 that serpent. Anyway. Knowing God's word, hiding in our heart. Jesus said in John 8 that you continue in the word. The word will set you free. So many of us, we feel discouraged. We feel beat up each and every day. The battle that is around us, and we wonder why we're not growing in our spiritual walk. Like we're not paying attention to this. There's a battle. We need to resist. We need to fight with the Spirit and with His Word. You do that, you will be set free. We can find strength. I find strength in, you know, similar places to you. Just even worship songs. You know, listen to that in the morning. 
I don't do it because, you know, the music is so cutting edge and all that, but I do it for that message. I need it. I need the reminder constantly. I do that through prayers, you know, some of that longer prayers, more concentrated prayers, but also those little short prayers throughout the day as you're driving, as you're thinking of people. So you're keeping the Lord in the forefront of your mind. Also, do this by asking for, for physical protection, that God would put his angels around you, around your family, your loved ones. It says that in the Lord's prayer. It says, lead me not in temptation, deliver me from evil. This is important for us to do. Ask for God's protection as we go out and as we come back through our families, through our friends, through the church. All this is how we fight back. Resist the devil through the Spirit with his word. And why? Because it's all about God's will. God's will for us is to seek and to serve his kingdom. That's what we want to be about. We want to be men and women, not who are, are all caught up in the battle, but we're caught up in seeing God's kingdom grow. We're caught up in seeing his kingdom expand, just caught up in seeing his name glorified. That's what we want. What's God's will for your life? Um, you can answer, you know, with like the catechisms, you know, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's certainly true. Um, that's what we're about. But Matthew, in this book, we'll talk about these as we go through this, this book. But he, I found four ways that he kind of says the same thing, but in different ways. And some of them might resonate with different ones of you. But here's what he says. Four ways he says it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Seek first his kingdom. Put that as your priority. You'll have to fight for that because you know how life is with priorities. Everything's coming in. You have to fight back to keep his kingdom the priority. In Matthew 16, verse 24, he says, deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. It's another way to say it. I'm going to identify with him. I'm carrying the cross. I'm going to follow him wherever he takes. Whatever the consequence is, that's where I'm going. Matthew 22, verse 37 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Everything. I'm going to love him every way I possibly can. With all my heart, my soul, my mind, with my strength. And then finally in Matthew 25, and he says it twice, that we would hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. All of these things point towards God and His will and what we are about, what we want to accomplish. We want His kingdom first and foremost, our highest priority. We want to identify Him and with Him and the cross. We want to love Him with everything so that we can hear good, well done, good and faithful servant. This doesn't happen by accident. This happens with preparation. It happens as we prepare to be disciples. Some of you have been disciples for a long, long time. And some of you get this. And you've been living this out. For others, it's maybe it's important for us to hear because we just thought, you know, being a disciple, just come to church, get in a small group, and that's it. Do some outreach, give some money to the church or missions. It is way more than that. 
being intentional on how we live today so that we are prepared for the future. Two weeks ago, I was here. Two, I wasn't here this last Sunday, and I'll tell you why, but two weeks ago, um, I preached kind of the introduction to Matthew, and if you were here in the, um, in the benediction after I closed, just before I sent you out, I just said this. I said, hey, listen, there's no guarantees in life, right? You, we, we were just, it was one week fresh after Kobe Bryant died. So I said, you know, you have that, that kind of was, you know, um, hurt a lot of people, you know, made, made a big impact on a lot of people. Um, you had the coronavirus that was kind of scaring people too, you know. And I said, you know, we don't know. This is why we have to deal with Christ, why it's important, because we don't know what is going to be happening tomorrow, the next day, or whatever. We don't know what's coming this week. So be prepared. Answer those questions. Be okay with Christ right now. Five days later, it was Friday morning. And um, it's my day off, but I was writing um, to our small group leaders, kind of writing them a little prayer. Hey, I'm praying for you. And right after I sent that, I, um, I got a call from one of my best friends um, saying that our friend Leo was dead. Um, Leo is probably my best friend. I had known Leo for 32 years. We met in high school. Um, we were roommates in college. We were in each other's weddings. We're, we're best friends. And Leo, he had some back pain. You know, he, had, he was messed up in his back. But he was healthy, totally healthy. And he was, um, just, they had bought a cabin. They were remodeling. And um, he just was not feeling good. So he just laid down, just took a, a little rest, and that was it. Lord called him home. Um, he had been to the cardiologist on Monday. The cardiologist said, you're looking great. See you in three years. He thought he was fine. The Lord took him home. Um, incredibly rough. We went up there. We were up in Clovis um, for the weekend, being up there with him and his family. He has three girls and a wife. And that's um, incredibly sad. And it's, it hurts. I mean, he's my best friend. But here's the thing. When I picked up the phone and heard Leo was dead, it, it was sad, but then I remembered, no, 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 he's not dead. He's more alive than ever because he dealt with this. He dealt with Jesus. And he came to the point many years ago where he said, I, I need you. I'm giving my life to you. Be my savior. Let me live for you. Let me glorify your name and your kingdom. And he lived his life doing that. A lot of disciples, a lot of mentors that came to faith because of him. You know, the point is it hurts close to home. And I know you all have your stories too. And what I'm just encouraging you, one, if you are not a, a follower of Jesus, if you've never given your life, I would encourage you to do so today. Become part of Christ's kingdom, his eternal kingdom, and enter into joy. Leave the darkness, come into the light. And if you are a Christian, take time now to get ready. Be prepared. There's a battle out there. Don't be asleep. Don't leave your sword. Don't be unprepared. Go out. We're fighting. Let's fight together so we can enter into heaven's gate someday hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.